Major Garrett is CBS's chief Washington correspondent. His book is The Big Truth. The Takeout Podcast is heard Sundays here on WTMJ. Major, thank you so much for being with us. John, always a pleasure. How are you? I'm good. I I thought you might be on that trip to Ukraine once I heard the president landed over there. No, you know, that's the White House team's obligation. They're on the beat every day, every hour, and uh, they get to do the trips. One of the things that happened when I voluntarily and quite happily became chief Washington correspondent is I no longer have the privileges of flying on Air Force One as routinely as I used to or going on big trips like this. So that's their that's their thing, and I don't bigfoot my colleagues. So they were there, and I'm happy for them. Hey, I wanted to ask you about something very interesting that you've been talking about for a long time, and it's detailed out in your book, The Big Truth. A special edition of Red and Blue focused on the democracy and election denialism. This is fresh stuff. I watched some video of it today. What does it tell you about our democracy that you can get together with a group of more than a dozen election deniers who still believe that something went terribly wrong? So it was a really fascinating experience, just for the audience's benefit. If you want to watch this, it was a two-hour focus group slash town hall in Phoenix a week ago at the Arizona State University Cronkite School of Journalism and Mass Communication. And it was 17 election rejectionists or election deniers, about 90 students from ASU and some invited guests. So Frank Luntz, who's a very well-known focus group moderator, walked the people who have deep questions, suspicions, or just completely reject the 2020 election, 2022 elections, Asked them why they thought what they thought. And then they engaged with me, my co-author, David Becker, the Georgia Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, and the top Republican official in Arizona's most populous county, Maricopa County, about their election procedures. And it was just an exchange of ideas, back and forth. And I'm telling you, John, their suspicions are deeply rooted. They simply do not believe our elections are secure, are verifiable, or are trustworthy, even for people that they really like and that they vote for. That's how deeply they have come to mistrust and distrust our system. And it was a profound experience for me because I've spent a lot of time researching what I think works really well with our elections. But whatever I've learned and whatever I've tried to convey in all the various different ways is not reaching these folks, not at all. And they're not insurrectionists. They're not violent. They don't want to overthrow the government. But they have deep doubts. And we need to have a find, we need to find a way to have a conversation with them to see if we can find common ground, bring them back into a place where they're less prone to doubts and more willing to trust things that can be verified. But even when you put verified facts before them, they will say in their own words, oh, you're just trying to sell me, you're trying to hypnotize me, you're just trying to make me uh, believe something I shouldn't believe. I mean, it was a profoundly exhausting yet at the same time, worthwhile experience. We all want every American to believe that their elections are safe and verifiable and just, and the outcome is what it should be. But there will be this small group that we just can't convince. You looked them in the eye in this this event in Arizona. We just had our election equipment audited here in Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. and there were almost no examples of anything wrong at all. How do we reach those people who are so hell-bent that, we can't trust the system. It's broken and people are cheating. Right. I mean, and their and their reasons for why the system was broken is that George Soros owns all the machines. He doesn't. But they believe that or they've come to believe that or that money runs everything in politics. Money is definitely influential. There's no question about that. But that's a separate topic from how we cast and count ballots. 
It's all connected to the Internet, and the CIA is in there flipping votes. It's not connected to the Internet. The CIA is not flipping votes in America. The CIA has a history of trying to influence elections overseas. I'm not denying that. That's a fact. But not here. There's no evidence of that. Never has been. And I hope never will be. And there's also linked to all those things, a kind of partisan sense to it, that Trump got a raw deal. And anything that is hostile to Trump or hostile to his lies about elections, they're going to be defensive about. And so there's a lot of it. There's so many things spun up in this space, John. And that's one of the things that I learned and took from it. It's not one specific case. It's not one piece of evidence that I could challenge or refute or recontextualize. It's a lot of things. Some of them are deeply emotional. Some of them are about their sense of identity in America and how things are changing around them. Some of it is embedded hostility to COVID restrictions. And since many of the adaptations for the 2020 election in specific grew out of the COVID pandemic adaptations, they hated those adaptations. Therefore, they hate the way the election was run. Therefore, they don't trust it. It's a real complex mix. And I will tell you this. Having done this two-hour thing and met them afterwards and talked with them, I'm going to sort of have this unexhaustible reservoir of willingness to meet these people where they are and just listen to them. Because one of the things that came through is they don't feel anyone pays attention to them, that no one listens to them, and that deepens their sense of alienation that borders on rage. Major Garrett is with the CBS's Chief Washington Correspondent. All right, Mayor, you only got about an, a minute and a half yeah. left, but I needed to ask you about Ukraine. The one-year anniversary is yeah, this week. Sure. I find myself wondering, okay, we sent tanks and Russia threatened that might put us over the edge. Now Ukraine mm-hmm. wants airplanes, jets, and Russia's saying, you know, yeah. all options are on the table. How do we weigh, how does the administration weigh helping Ukraine and doing the right thing versus really risking escalation that could be catastrophic? incrementally which is the way they have waited because things that were not acceptable or even imaginable eight or nine months ago we're doing now and the question will be for the united states for the biden administration for all european governments how does ukraine win or how does russia sue for peace those are the only two acceptable outcomes that's what president biden said in warsaw today ukraine will never lose well if ukraine will never lose then ukraine must win or russia must sue for peace. How do you achieve that? Is it by repelling one last big spring offensive, which the Russians are clearly planning? And how do you do that with the material that NATO and the United States can provide? Japan is stepping up in a big way. You've got to keep China out of this conflict, either diplomatically or in terms of giving Russia lethal assistance. We don't want this to be a three-superpower war over the fate of Ukraine. So the next six to eight months, or I would say the next six months, are going to be crucial in determining what the answers to those questions are and how do they manifest on the ground so Ukraine can win or the Russians will give up and sue for peace. Major Garrett is CBS's chief Washington correspondent. If you'd like more information about the stuff we discussed, The Big Truth is the book you need to read. It is Major's book. Check out The Big Truth with David Becker. Thank you so much, Major. We always appreciate you taking some time. Thank you so much, John. I really appreciate it. Major Garrett is CBS's chief Washington correspondent. His book is The Big Truth. The Takeout Podcast is heard Sundays here on WTMJ. Major, thank you so much for being with us. John, always a pleasure. How are you? I'm good. I I thought you might be on that trip to Ukraine once I heard the president landed over there. No, you know, that's the White House team's obligation. They're on the beat every day, every hour, and uh, they get to do the trips. One of the things that happened when I voluntarily and quite happily became chief Washington correspondent as I 
no longer have the privileges of flying on Air Force One as routinely as I used to or going on big trips like this. So that's their that's their thing, and I don't bigfoot my colleagues. So they were there, and I'm happy for them. Hey, I wanted to ask you about something very interesting that you've been talking about for a long time, and it's detailed out in your book, The Big Truth. A special edition of Red and Blue focused on the democracy and election denialism. This is fresh stuff. I watched some video of it today. What does it tell you about our democracy that you can get together with a group of more than a dozen election deniers who still believe that something went terribly wrong? So it was a really fascinating experience, just for the audience's benefit. If you want to watch this, it was a two-hour focus group slash town hall in Phoenix a week ago at the Arizona State University Cronkite School of Journalism and Mass Communication. And it was 17 election rejectionists or election deniers, about 90 students from ASU and some invited guests. So Frank Luntz, who's a very well-known focus group moderator, walked the people who have deep questions, suspicions, or just completely reject the 2020 election, 2022 elections, Ask them why they thought what they thought. And then they engaged with me, my co-author, David Becker, the Georgia Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, and the top Republican official in Arizona's most populous county, Maricopa County, about their election procedures. And it was just an exchange of ideas, back and forth. And I'm telling you, John, their suspicions are deeply rooted. They simply do not believe our elections are secure, are verifiable, or are trustworthy, even for people that they really like and that they vote for. That's how deeply they have come to mistrust and distrust our system. And it was a profound experience for me because I spent a lot of time researching what I think works really well with our elections. But whatever I've learned and whatever I've tried to convey in all the various different ways is not reaching these folks, not at all. And they're not insurrectionists. They're not violent. They don't want to overthrow the government. But they have deep doubts. And we need to have a find, we need to find a way to have a conversation with them to see if we can find common ground, bring them back into a place where they're less prone to doubts and more willing to trust things that can be verified. But even when you put verified facts before them, they will say in their own words, oh, you're just trying to sell me. You're trying to hypnotize me. You're just trying to make me uh, believe something I shouldn't believe. I mean, it was a profoundly exhausting yet at the same time worthwhile experience. We all want every American to believe that their elections are safe and verifiable and just and the outcome is what it should be. But there will be this small group that we just can't yeah. convince. You looked them in the eye in this in this event in Arizona. We just had our election equipment audited here in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and there are almost no examples of anything wrong at all. How do we reach those people who are so hell-bent that we can't trust the system, it's broken, and people are cheating? Right. I mean, and their and their reasons for why the system was broken is that George Soros owns all the machines. He doesn't. But they believe that or they've come to believe that or that money runs everything in politics. Money is definitely influential. There's no question about that. But that's a separate topic from how we cast and count ballots. It's all connected to the Internet and the CIA is in there flipping votes. It's not connected to the Internet. The CIA is not flipping votes in America. The CIA has a history of trying to influence elections overseas. I'm not denying that. That's a fact. But not here. There's no evidence of that. Never has been. And I hope never will be. And there's also linked to all those things, a kind of partisan sense to it, that Trump got a raw deal. And anything that is hostile to Trump or hostile to his lies about elections, they're going to be defensive about. And so there's a lot of it. There's so many things spun up in this space. 
John, and that's one of the things that I learned and took from it. It's not one specific case. It's not one piece of evidence that I could challenge or refute or recontextualize. It's a lot of things. Some of them are deeply emotional. Some of them are about their sense of identity in America and how things are changing around them. Some of it is embedded hostility to COVID restrictions. And since many of the adaptations for the 2020 election in specific grew out of the COVID pandemic adaptations, they hated those adaptations. Therefore, they hate the way the election was run. Therefore, they don't trust it. It's a real complex mix. And I will tell you this, having done this two-hour thing and met them afterwards and talked with them, I'm going to sort of have this unexhaustible reservoir of willingness to meet these people where they are and just listen to them. Because one of the things that came through is they don't feel anyone pays attention to them, that no one listens to them, and that deepens their sense of alienation that borders on rage. Major Garrett is with the CBS's Chief Washington Correspondent. All right, Mayor, we only got about an, a minute and a half yeah. left, but I needed to ask you about Ukraine. The one-year anniversary is yeah, this week. Sure. I find myself wondering, okay, we sent tanks and Russia threatened that might put us over the edge. Now Ukraine mm-hmm. wants airplanes, jets, and Russia's saying, you know, yeah. all options are on the table. How do we weigh, how does the administration weigh helping Ukraine and doing the right thing versus really risking escalation that could be catastrophic? incrementally, which is the way they have weighted, because things that were not acceptable or even imaginable eight or nine months ago we're doing now. And the question will be for the United States, for the Biden administration, for all European governments, how does Ukraine win or how does Russia sue for peace? Those are the only two acceptable outcomes. That's what President Biden said in Warsaw today. Ukraine will never lose. Well, if Ukraine will never lose, then Ukraine must win or Russia must sue for peace. How do you achieve that? Is it by repelling one last big spring offensive, which the Russians are clearly planning? And how do you do that with the material that NATO and the United States can provide? Japan is stepping up in a big way. You've got to keep China out of this conflict, either diplomatically or in terms of giving Russia lethal assistance. We don't want this to be a three-superpower war over the fate of Ukraine. So the next six to eight months, or I would say the next six months, are going to be crucial in determining what the answers to those questions are and how do they manifest on the ground so Ukraine can win or the Russians will give up and sue for peace. Major Garrett is CBS's chief Washington correspondent. If you'd like more information about the stuff we discussed, The Big Truth is the book you need to read. It is Major's book. Check out The Big Truth with David Becker. Thank you so much, Major. We always appreciate you taking some time. Thank you so much, John. I really appreciate it.